when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want me and the salvation that comes with me, then you must take up your cross. He was saying, you must value me more than you do your own life. And then he says, follow me. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing our current series titled, Your Only Reasonable Response to the Gospel. He has part two for you on today's broadcast. On our last program, Tom introduced us to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He explored the major themes found in this letter, describing how chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 serve as a transition point from being all about what God has done to how you are supposed to respond. Well, today Tom will present four ways that you should respond to the gospel found in Paul's admonition to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But what does that actually mean? How about when you're doing the dishes or running errands? What type of sacrifice is God looking for? Open your Bible now and let's join Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. In an excellent book, by the way, by Jerry Bridges, entitled The Gospel for Real Life, writes this, The love of God to us and our love to Him work together in producing holiness. Terror, that is of God, accomplishes no real obedience. Suspense, that is wondering whether or not we truly belong to God, brings forth no fruit unto holiness. No gloomy uncertainty as to God's favor can subdue one lust or correct our crookedness of will. But the free pardon of the cross, that is understanding what Christ has done, uproots sin and withers all its branches. Only the certainty of love, forgiving love, can do this. Free and warm reception into the divine favor is the strongest of all motives in leading a person to seek conformity to him who has thus freely forgiven him all his trespasses. You see, a Christian life of holiness and obedience is ultimately grounded in an understanding of, a grasp of, and a gratitude for the mercies of God. And if that's not what drives you, then your growth in holiness is going to be very weak indeed. But in fact, if you are a believer, you are going to grow in these ways. If you have experienced justification, if you've been declared right with God through the work of Jesus Christ, received as a gift by His grace, then you will not be content to have justification without sanctification. If you have experienced total atonement for your sins, you will not be content to live without the total commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. Leon Morris writes, it is fundamental to Paul that the justified man does not live in the same way as the unrepentant sinner. This is the great motive. This ought to be the great motive of your life, the mercies of God. So how are we to respond to the exhortation of Scripture, to the fact of our relationship to God and to God's mercies to us in salvation. Where is that to lead us? What is that to motivate us to? Well, secondly, we discover the demonstration of a life of total commitment to God. 
the demonstration of a life of total commitment to God. This begins in the middle of verse 1 and runs through verse 2. Paul here makes his appeal for us to show a total radical dedication to God, and he uses the language of Old Testament sacrifice. In fact, look at verse 1. Notice the word present. Every word in verse 1, starting with the word present and on through the rest of verse 1, every word is part of the Old Testament language of the sacrificial system. Since Christ our Lord has fulfilled the sacrificial system of the Old Testament by the sacrifice of Himself, He was the Lamb of God, He was our Passover, we no longer offer literal sacrifices. Instead, we offer what 1 Peter 2 and and Hebrews 13 call spiritual sacrifices. But Paul here explains that our spiritual sacrifices are no less real for being spiritual. In fact, he calls on us in response to the mercies of God, in response to all that we have come to enjoy, to do two things. Number one, to sacrifice our bodies, that's the message of verse 1, and secondly, to sacrifice our minds, that's the message of verse 2, to sacrifice our bodies and to sacrifice our minds. Let's look at the first. Notice, present your body to God. Notice how Paul puts it, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice. Here Paul uses the image of the Old Testament worshiper offering a sacrifice to God. And those he wrote to would have been very familiar in an intimate, personal way with this reality. In fact, the Jewish people, there were both Gentiles and Jews in the churches in Rome, and the Jewish people in the churches in Rome would have been extremely familiar with this. They would have actually participated because even if they lived on the other side of the planet, the other side of the Mediterranean world from Jerusalem, if you were Jewish in the first century, before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, you would have found your way at some point in your life to the temple to offer sacrifice. And this is what it would have been like. You would have selected an animal, and you would have either traveled with that animal from a distant location, or you would have purchased it there in Jerusalem. And when it came time, you would have gone to the temple. You would have walked up those massive steps leading up into the temple compound, and then you would have gone to the area of the priests. And there, at the court of the priests, you would have said, I'm here to offer this animal to God as a sacrifice. You would have laid your hands on the head of that animal, and you would have recited your sins, confessing your sins over the head of that animal. This was a symbolic act to transfer the guilt of your sins to that innocent substitute. And then the priest, and this will grow some of you out, would have handed you the knife, and you would have slit the throat of that animal. And as its blood poured out of its throat, the priest would have been there to collect in a bowl a portion of that blood. He would have walked over to the altar of sacrifice, and he would have slung that blood across the altar. Then he would have come back to you and taken the now lifeless body of that animal. He would have ascended the steps up to that massive altar, and he would have heaved the body of that animal onto the burning fire and you would have watched as its body and its corpse was consumed by the fire. That's what sacrifice was. So get some of the shock that Paul intends for you to get here. He says, look, 
No longer, since Christ has died, do we offer animal sacrifices. But the sacrifice I call on you to make is no less real. Rather than an animal, I want you to sacrifice your body as a living sacrifice. Our sacrifice, by the way, is not like that of Jesus Christ. Don't be confused. His was a sacrifice of atonement, the only one. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, neither can yours. Ours is a sacrifice not of atonement, but of dedication. Christ's sacrifices were like the Old Testament offerings to atone for sin. Our sacrifice is, is like that pictured by the offering of, that showed the worshiper's dedication to God. There's also another crucial difference between Christ's sacrifice and ours, sacrifice and ours, and that is in the Old Testament, you would have brought your sacrifice, you would have killed it, but then you would have given it to the priest to offer. He's the one who would have walked up and presented it on the altar. But Paul tells us here that you are the priest offering the sacrifice, present, and you are the sacrifice, your bodies as a sacrifice. Literally, the Greek text reads, Therefore I am urging you, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice. That's exactly how it reads. There are no intervening words. We'll get to those words. They actually come afterwards in Greek. I am urging you, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice. Now, to present, that Greek word in secular Greek was used specifically of offering a sacrifice. And that's how Paul uses it here, clearly. But notice, you are called to present. That means that you have to make a voluntary act of your will to accomplish this. Present. Then notice he says, present your body. Why does Paul say to offer your body as a sacrifice and not yourself? You ever answered that question in your own mind? I mean, we would expect him to say, offer yourselves as a sacrifice. But he doesn't say that. He says your bodies. Why does he do that? I think there are a couple of reasons. First of all, because in verse 2, he adds our minds. So when you have the body in verse 1 and the mind in verse 2, he is saying, offer yourselves. He's just doing it in two parts. But I think he also includes the body here because of something that was constantly present in first century thought. In Greek thinking, in Platonic thinking, the body was, was a problem. The body was something you were eager to get rid of. It had nothing spiritual about it. And the way they would then extrapolate from that is that that meant, well, if the body doesn't matter, then it's only what you do in your soul that matters, so the body can do whatever it wants. Don't worry about that. Paul says that's not how Christianity works. He here mentions the body to challenge those whose Christian profession doesn't change how they live in their bodies. It's not enough to say you believe in Jesus and follow Him if it doesn't change what you do with your body. It's with the members of your body that you carry out your desires and plans and purposes. In fact, back in chapter 3, you remember as we studied human depravity, we learned that depravity affects the body, how you use your tongue and your throat and your hands and your feet. Well, so does saving faith. Don't deceive yourself. 
that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ if it doesn't show up in what you do with your body. Notice, by the way, that this word sacrifice is not how we use the word sacrifice. When we talk about sacrifice, because we're so far removed from the sacrificial system, we mean I'm going to make some sacrifices for this person, for this cause. Paul is not asking you to make some sacrifices for Jesus. Give up something for Lent. Notice, it is a call to present your body as a sacrifice. What does it mean to present your body as a sacrifice? I want to spell that out for us. I don't want to leave us sort of in vagueness. So let me give you some very practical ways that we present our body as a sacrifice. Number one, you must remember that when you came to Christ, you denied yourself, you took up your cross, and began to follow Jesus. And this is just the continuation of that. You remember Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said this to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, that's an invitation to believe the gospel, to receive the salvation that he had to offer. If anyone wishes to come after me, here's what he must do. Number one, he must deny himself. The Greek word for deny means to renounce, to refuse to associate with, to have nothing to do with. In other words, if you want to come to Jesus for salvation, it starts with renouncing the person you've been. It means coming and saying, Lord, there's nothing in the person that I have been that I want you to try to salvage. There's nothing worth, worth keeping. It's like the beatitude in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the beggars in spirit, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. You come to God as a beggar, renouncing everything that you've become, knowing that it means nothing to God. Deny yourself. Secondly, he says, take up your cross. In the first century, that wasn't your mother-in-law. It wasn't a trial. No, in the first century, a cross was an implement of execution. When Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want me and the salvation that comes with me, then you must take up your cross. He was saying, you must value me more than you do your own life. And then he says, follow me, which means I want you to follow me as teacher and Lord, which is exactly how he identifies himself in John 13. I am your teacher and Lord. He says, follow me as teacher and Lord. That means you have a Basically, at its heart, it is an obedience to Jesus' revealed commands. That's how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. That is faith. If you really became a Christian, that's what your faith looked like and looks like. You denied yourself and you continue to deny yourself. You took up your cross. You valued Jesus more than your own life, and that's still true, and you are following him as teacher and Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and to believe in him is to confess him as Lord, as we saw back in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It is to commit to follow and obey him. Notice Romans chapter 1. This is exactly how Paul begins his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, notice how he describes it, the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. The obedience that is produced by faith. That's how he ends this letter as well. Go to chapter 16, verse 26. In the middle of the verse, 
He says, the gospel has now been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. The obedience that faith, genuine faith, produces. Now, don't misunderstand the relationship between faith and obedience. They are not the same. Obedience is to your spiritual life what the, your pulse is to your physical life. Your pulse doesn't cause physical life within your body. It is simply a sign that there is physical life. You put your fingers on your wrist, and if you don't feel something, you need to be concerned. Why? Because that's a sign of the physical life that's in you. Obedience is the same way with our spiritual lives. It is not the cause of our life. Rather, it's like our spiritual pulse. It's a sign that there is new life within us. So understand then what I'm saying in this first point. Presenting yourself as a sacrifice is just the next logical step in what began with your salvation. It's just the next logical step. As Douglas Moo puts it, the imperative of a transformed life is not an optional second step after we embrace the gospel. It is rooted in our initial response to the gospel itself. And so you must remind yourself that presenting yourself to God as a sacrifice is just a further continuance of what began when you first exercised faith. Here's also what it means to present your body a sacrifice. You must daily live in the awareness that your body is not yours, but belongs to Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As Paul deals here with sexual sin, he makes an extraordinary comment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee immorality, and he's given a number of reasons in this text, but the one in verse 19 is amazing. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Here is one of the reasons not to... to Get involved in sexual sin with your body because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he goes on to give another reason. He says, and that you are not your own. Your body doesn't belong to you, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He's borrowing this language, of course, from the slave market, and he's saying, listen, God the Father was the auctioneer in that slave market. You were a slave to sin and to Satan, and Christ came and He made a bid on you, and the, the Father brought the gavel down and said, sold to Jesus Christ at the cost of His blood, and you are no longer your own. Your body, think about this, Christian, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He bought it. It's His. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Thirdly, if you're going to present your body a sacrifice, it means that you must commit from this point forward to live your life not for yourself, but for Jesus Christ. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ, that is Christ's love for us, understanding His love for us, controls us or compels us to act. Having concluded this, that he, the one, died for all, that is, for all of those who died, that is, all those who died in him. So, in other words, he's talking about 
All of those for whom Jesus died, died with Christ. That's Romans 6, right? We've seen it. Now watch verse 15. And he died for them all, all of those for whom he died. He died for them so that, here was his purpose, that's us Christians, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Do you understand that from this point forward, from the moment of salvation, but certainly from the moment you come to really grasp and understand this, you no longer are to live life for yourself. It's not about what you want to do. It's okay to have a little, you know, fun little bucket list of things you want to do, but you don't get to make a bucket list in the truest sense. He makes the bucket list. Your life belongs to Him, and you live for, not for yourself, but for Him. Philippians 1.20, Paul says, I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Love so amazing, so divine demands what? My life, my soul, my all. And then number four, if you're going to present your body a sacrifice, it means that you must daily present the members of your body as slaves of God and of righteousness. This is what we saw back in Romans chapter 6, the very first command Paul gives in this book. Romans chapter 6, begin in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If, if you're in Christ, when you were saved at that moment, it's like you died with Christ and you were raised to new life. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on, here's our word, presenting. This is the same Greek word. In fact, that Greek word present occurs in its verb and noun forms five times in this Romans 6 passage. This is where he explains what it means to present your body. He says, verse 13, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and present your members as instrument of righteousness to God. Well, again, let me let, me let a great commentator, Matthew Henry, explained. He explains that to present the members of your body as slaves to God and righteousness means this. First of all, it means you'll engage your body in worship. Engage your body in worship. You won't just show up. Secondly, you'll use your body to help your soul in the service of God. Thirdly, you will use your body to diligently carry out your calling using the skills God has given you to benefit others, even in your daily work. You will avoid the sins committed with the body or against your body. And you will be willing to suffer for God with your body if called to do so. And you will intentionally present the individual members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. You say, what does that look like? Well, it's the exact opposite of what you used to do before you knew Christ. You present the members of your body to God to use for His purposes. I can't put it any better than one author put it. He said, our feet will walk in his path. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. 
Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. And our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. Present the members of your body in obedience to God's Word. Use them for righteousness. Urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice. Paul has a lot more to say, and Lord willing, we'll continue to look at it. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, Your Only Reasonable Response to the Gospel. Tom will bring you part three on our next program. Do join us then. But before we leave you today, Tom has some closing thoughts for us. Tom? I would just encourage you, if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you claim to belong to Him, but your life, your day-to-day behavior, actions, thoughts, and words haven't really been affected, then I would plead with you to really examine yourself, to truly repent and believe in Christ. As Jesus put it, deny yourself, be willing to take up your cross, and follow Him both as teacher and Lord. If that's already true of you, then let me just remind you to, to keep the truth of the gospel in your mind so that it becomes the motivating factor of your life as it was for the Apostle Paul, that we would live lives of obedience to him because of the gospel. Thanks, Tom. And friend, the word unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.